Like you, you're superior on camera to me uh, compared to me today, Adam. So that's a, uh, that's first. Only, yeah, I think it's only, I think it's only um, because I'm sitting a bit closer, maybe, to the laptop. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I haven't, I haven't even fiddled with anything. It's actually the small stuff like that makes all the difference, like the positioning of the camera and your light and just the audio and stuff like that. It's like basics. It's not about the tech. It's the the distance and stuff like that, that makes makes all the difference. Yep. Um, anyway, welcome everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on air. It is episode two oh five. We're bringing it to you every Friday. Um, thank you so much for supporting this uh, show. Um, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Um, I think people are now kind of, I don't know whether this is true for you, Adam, but people are starting to be become more aware of me through the live stream than through the newsletter or anything else. Um, so it's really quite weird that that's the case. And it's really pleasing to, to, to know that this is a show that people look forward to and, um, you know, people will get into. So, um, so fantastic um, that, uh, that you're here with us today. Um, let's... Um, Let's do some sound checks just to uh, make sure everything's okay. I've got a new mic, by the way, a clip mic now. Um, so I just want to make sure everyone is uh, uh, can hear me okay audio-wise. So let me know in the chat whether the audio is okay. I know the video is a bit shit as well, but you know what? If you can hear and see me move, that should be all right. Um, and we should be live streaming this on multiple places on LinkedIn. Uh, there's me. Um, I believe there should be you as well, Adam. There's Luke Davis live streaming this. Chantel is live streaming this. Uh, Debbie Clement is live streaming this. There's multiple people getting it out um, everywhere. So we're doing a LinkedIn takeover. Um, so folks, if you want to get involved in that, um, there is a link on the Crowdcast, which allows you to also live stream the show from your own LinkedIn. How cool is that, hey? Still haven't seen anybody else do it. Um, so I think Brain Food is still plowing a lonely furrow in this revolutionary technique. On Stop spreading telling people. Stop telling well, people. I'm going to have to write a blog about it because I'm amazed that no one's used this for talent acquisition yet uh, or for any kind of marketing. Um, it's, it's crazy that that's not occurring. So, uh, so anyway, this is how you do it, folks. If you want to know, drop me a comment and I'll let you know. It's, uh, it's something that I think is going to be a good thing for everybody. All right, let's get on with the show. We need to thank our sponsors, as we always do, folks. Without our sponsors, we cannot roll this thing forward. Uh, every week, somebody comes up and says, yes, we want to support Brain Food Live on air. Uh, this week, our sponsors are Symphony Talent. SymphonyTalent.com, folks. People need to know more about these this company than they do. Um, they are an all-everything recruitment, marketing, CRM, talent attraction type of service and products. Um, if you are in the business of trying to improve your pipeline, getting better quality, better quantity at the top of funnel, uh, Symphony Talent are a business that you need to be checking out. Um, I will be sharing a link to their go-to, uh, their homepage. Go ahead and check it out there. Um, and yeah, if you're just like stumbling around there with some really poor online assets and what have you, and you're not getting the best out of your brand, not communicating to your audience, um, then check out symphonytalent.com. They're a business that can help you. Um, okay, we have uh, Adam Gordon on as our co-pilot as usual. I was just complimenting Adam on how uh, how well he looks, and we agreed it was because he's closer to the camera. Um, so, so, so there we go. Anyway, Adam, um, how you? How was your week? Uh, my week's been really great. Uh, I've been chatting to people and going to the gym. Indeed. And by the way, I don't know whether you're ready to talk about it, but I did see you release something like a beta web page for your next thing. Is that oh, something it's... you want to talk about? 
Is that is no, that open or not? Yeah, it's nothing to do with my next thing. Is um, it not Oh no. Um, <laughs> it's just a. Uh, I'm just. Gonna, I'll put the. I'll put the um, link in the chat here. If you go to recruiterenablement.org, it's got a homepage which just outlines what I think recruiter enablement is. Mm -hmm. I think it's a subject that we should all learn more about. Uh, if you can't find anything about recruiter enablement, just go to sales enablement and take a look at that and contextualize it in your mind and go and work out what it is. I've seen it firsthand in the sales context, and it's a methodology for furnishing salespeople with every piece of content, tool, prop, app, calculator, whatever it is they need to take a buyer through a journey from first stage outreach through, through to like the contract negotiation stage, contextualize this for recruitment. And we do not do a good job of furnishing our recruiters with all the things that they need. And honestly, I heard last week one uh, talent acquisition leader told me that they found three recruiters in their team in different countries all writing the same job advert in different ways on the same day. Mm. Why don't we have systems in place so that we can all share from each other's, you know, work um, and not just about content, but also like intelligence. If I want, if I'm about to go and try and hire people out of Barclays and like after, over the last three years, my 50 global colleagues have all been generating intelligence about what it's like to work at Barclays. Why can't I get access to that? We can't get mm. access to that because we don't give our recruiters battle cards so that they can just share all that information and easily convert that into crib sheets for what to say to the person who's working at Barclays. Sorry, I picked you, Barclays. I'm not suggesting people want to leave or you're a good picking ground for uh, hiring from. But anyway, um, I just want to raise awareness of this subject. And I'm going to be doing lots of videos and putting them on. There's a video page that's currently completely empty. And I am going to be doing lots of videos over the next few months with TA people um, about this subject because some people have been doing great things or they want to do great things because they've acknowledged that there is an opportunity here. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and go ahead and make use, make use of this resource, folks. Um, I'm sure you'll get something from it. So um, uh, recruiterenablement.org. Um, good stuff, Adam. Um, in the midst of doing all of that, have you had any time to actually read the newsletter um, from last week? Um, always. I always read the newsletter. And um, so I've got some feedback first before I go into some of the topics. Go on then. The, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, you, you're going to think that I'm going to complain that I'm not at the top. Yep. That's not what I'm going to complain about. I'm going to complain that I can't see the top. <laughs> so I can just work out what my score is, and I think I'm maybe in fifth place. But for some reason, the, the, I can't see who's at the top and like what their scores are and things like that. So how do I benchmark myself against these you know, leaders in this we're hall of fame we're gonna their scores we're gonna replace the bubble chart with just a, a table like we just, I mean, we're gonna go back to just standard table and just expose everyone um for uh for their level of effort and lack thereof um as to where you're at um but I mean, but yeah we, we, very cool 
but I can't see the top of it. Maybe there's too many people on it. I don't know. There may be, yeah. We haven't actually looked at it for a long while. So so folks who don't know, the Brimfrey Hall of Fame is there to basically give a little bit of thanks to the people who support the the, the channel and the newsletter and all the the rest of it. I'm making note of everyone who basically gives a shout out or a retweet or something like that. Uh, and I'm, you, you accumulate points. Um, and we had some vague idea that those points mean prizes at some point. Um, uh, but we never translated that into anything. Um, and uh, maybe it's time to, to revive it in some way or, you know, basically find a way to, to more substantively reward the community members who've been supporting uh, the, the, everything we're doing. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, that is still on record whilst I figure out exactly how to uh translate that into goodies for everybody um anyway so, um okay this actual, thank you actual actual brain actual brain food <laughs> um i mean i i i really i find it interesting that you ask people what they would want the focus to be for um a midweek brain food a midweek newsletter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. overwhelmingly they said um a summary of brain food live so yep. can we use otter to just transcribe the text and then add it into ChatGPT and say, turn this into talking points or bullet points. There you go, newsletter done. Newsletter.gpt. Yep, I think that's, that's what I'm gonna do, folks. I don't have time to hand type uh, another newsletter and I definitely don't have time to transcribe it. So I'm gonna pipe it into some transcriber, pull out the top points um, and then see whether that can condense that into a, a useful thing. Uh, and it might actually discipline our chat a little bit as well to make sure that actually we're getting something we're covering the point so that people can walk away with something that they can learn. Um, cause there is learning in there, but sometimes we, we kind of, I wouldn't say we mess around with it, but we, we don't pull all of the points out as clearly as we could. Um, so yeah, I think we'll try and do that. I think it's useful. Um, and of course we'll link it back to the show so that you can go and watch that as well. If you know, uh, the, the, the copy, uh, stimulates your mind, but yeah, it seems to be, that's what the audience wants. Okay. Uh, on chat GPT, Prompt influencers, uh, what a wonderful uh, topic. It's people who are writing blogs and newsletters and tips and uh, like playbooks and things for how to do prompt engineering on ChatGPT. Uh, shout out to Martin Redstone, who whose book I just bought uh, a few days ago on this subject, probably written by ChatGPT. Yes, yeah. it was. It was there was there was two or three things that are very valuable to me in there, and um, he probably wrote it with ChatGPT. I don't know, but anyway, um, there's an essay, or in fact, it's a blog from Ethan Mollick um, about prompt engineering, and he's given some tips around it. But he said basically, you just practice, just practice, and see what happens. A couple of problems with that. Uh, the first is. If you're a bad writer, I really believe that if you're a bad writer, you're not going to be a great writer with ChatGPT unless you have a formula for how to do it. Because if you can't articulate um, a piece of content in your own words, you're going to struggle to articulate what to say to ChatGPT to give it a great piece of work. So you need to know something about the subject in order to get it to give you the subject. To, to give you yep. the, you know, give you the, give you the content. So that's one aspect of it. Um, and then the second aspect of it is, yeah, I do think practice is a good thing to do, absolutely. But at the same time, I think follow people like Martin Redstone, whose book was like six dollars, and it literally has here's all of the best prompts to put in here in order to achieve the best outcome. 
Now, times will change. This will develop. Uh, I don't know whether there's going to be an algorithm emerge whereby you know different types of prompts start to become more effective and others become less effective in the same way that you know posting things on LinkedIn. You don't do it the same way as you as you used to, um, and it changes you know how you get the best results. I don't know. I'm not sure whether there's any benefit to OpenAI in, in doing that, but um, I thought that it was an interesting article nonetheless with some useful things to uh, go and take a look at. What I'm getting from you here is, and I've got sympathy with the writer, but also with you, um, in the sense that Ethan is obviously a very smart bloke. Um, and he's writing from, a, and he's a professional writer. He's a lecturer and he's a newsletter writer and all that. So he, of course, for him, practice makes sense because he's already got a baseline level of very high skill in articulating with his thoughts using text. Um, but what you're saying, I think, might be very, very correct and very, very correct. There you go, Hong Lee, failing to do articulation. Um, but, um, but yeah, if your English level or whatever the language level you use for ChatGBT isn't particularly sufficient, um, then you're not going to be able to really uh, make use of it. Think of this from a literacy point of view as well. There's many societies that aren't haven't achieved 100% literacy, let's say, or their literacy level isn't that deep. Um, those folks and those countries or societies will also struggle with this um, because their, you know, the basic ability to, to try and pull together words is is going to be compromised. So there is an element where you've already advan giving advantage to people who probably have achieved a certain level of education already. So uh, there's some things to think about here in terms of the interface for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which leads me nicely onto the next one, which is around um, a product which has emerged in the market called People GPT. Seems to be a LinkedIn sourcing product. Uh, I'm not sure it actually works. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure it does anything that's different to any other sourcing tool other than it's got a conversational interface based on OpenAI. Uh, there's lots and lots of products like this are emerging right now. And I'm looking at a lot of them going, I mean, that's clever what you've done there, but it's not any, in fact, if anything, sometimes they're inferior to established ways of doing things. So I had a discussion on a WhatsApp group with somebody recently about a product that, or, or I, um, they, they effectively embedded ChatGPT into an applicant tracking system and were typing out queries into ChatGPT in order to retrieve information from the ATS to build reports and things like that. And to me, it just looked like it was faster to just do it in the ATS. Mm. As they said, point and click. Point and click and you got the information faster than typing out your command, as far as I'm concerned. There's a reason we don't, there's a reason why we've got buttons. I had a very interesting conversation again also with a UX designer and she was talking about how important buttons were um, because it actually prompts an action that you want to press um, rather than an empty box, which causes you to have to think about the prompt. Um, so even though there is some magical experiences that you can get from prompting these these, these services, I think we're starting to understand them an element of depth here. So our maturation of it is improving. Um, and uh, we're starting to see some kind of areas where it may not be optimal. Um, but yeah, going back to people, GPT, uh, that cause like a wave of interest because of the proposition uh which was it would going to be a 
people aggregator essentially so aggregating online profiles but through human language commands so you don't need to learn boolean basically um, and you could give it natural language commands and it might uh, pull something back from you we've had all kinds of interesting reports from other people as to whether it works does it work what the level it is etc etc we're going to do a brain food live particularly on this product actually because um, i want to explore it in depth two reasons why Firstly, let's critique it and let's see whether it is what it says on the tin. And secondly, um, let's think about what we are going to do if it is what it says it is. And if it is even possible for something like this to emerge, um, because if it is the case or the latter, then we need to think about, OK, what are the, what are the impacts for a big chunk of what recruiters do, which is sourcing for candidates? Um, well, it's anyway, possible. it's definitely possible for it to work. It's, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. It's not rocket science. The rocket science bit was done by OpenAI. This is um, uh, this is an interface, uh, you know, specific, for a specific use part, use case, and um, it, it's some. I, I just I just don't think it's better than the existing things we've got. I, I, you don't need to learn Boolean today anyway. There's plenty of sourcing tools that don't that, that you can put in what you're looking for, and it builds your string for you. Um, yeah, it's true. Anyway, is it, this is true. About it. We'll talk about it. Uh, I want to get the, the guy on. He, he built it. He launched yeah. it. Uh, much fanfare. Let's get him on. Let's demo it. And then we'll have some recruiters who want to critique it. I think that's fair. Um, and then we'll see where it goes. Because I think you're, you're pro I think what's the situation is it probably doesn't work quite as what people think. Um, but it will eventually. Um, in yeah. which case, okay, that's going to be a very, very interesting uh, uh, sort of changing. Uh, boy, stop saying it. Sorry, Bash. Um, right, we move on. We'll move on to something else. Um, okay, last one. Um, uh, Adam. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Boy, stop saying. Um, it. I don't know. Uh, he's referring That's to not Balash's product, is it? No. I All mean, right. Balash is. Uh, no, no, no. I don't think so. Okay, so um, last one. Uh, I think before let's get the smarter people on is uh, yeah, IBM CEO said um, has announced that they're going to stop. Um, they're going to stop um, hiring for jobs which they have earmarked for AI being able to do. So mm. I know that everyone I've talked about has got an AI-related uh, element to it. I, I, I don't have any problem with that. I think it's the right thing to do for any large organization. The guy has not got a duty to save humanity. He's got a duty to increase shareholder value. That's all that person has got to do. Um, and you know, if if that means um, auto, I mean, every company should be doing this. They should be doing it anyway. They should be looking at how do we automate because you're going to get better experiences for employees, for customers, for suppliers, for everybody when repetitive tasks are cut out. We have to adapt, and uh, it, it caused some people going, "Oh, that this is a way of this is a way of um, getting people back to the office because you're going to get." Um, you're, you're going to get replaced uh, if you don't come back to the office. I, and I think that sounds like, to me a bit like a conspiracy theory. I think mm. it's just the company needs to make more money. And this is a way of doing it. I think one thing we learned from this, by the way, folks, if you don't know this um, story, it was, it was a really interesting story simply because it might have been the first prominent example of a CEO pausing uh, planned recruitment for several thousand jobs based on a projection that they met, made that actually these jobs are highly order, or sort of AI-able um, and we're going to hang on. We're just going to replace it with AI. So 7,000 or so. Interestingly enough, HR was actually mentioned amongst some of those roles. So um, we need to also 
also put the same audit to the stuff that we do as recruiters because guess what um the the cfo is going to do that you know if, if we are spending huge amounts of time as individual professionals working on stuff that is aiable um then you can guarantee at some point some ceo or some cfo is going to say actually we're going to we're going to implement technology here um and that workload the skills you develop for doing that are going to start receding away and, and, and off you go so we need to basically lean into areas um that are resilient to ai i think that's true for any white collar professional um and that's the reason why i put that particular post into uh the newsletter definitely worth you checking out by the way so a really good and easy read so baz said it's the it's the one ceo that's actually thinking ahead i would expect that nearly every ceo is thinking the same they're just not going so public about it so it's quite a brave move uh, by by that person by the way we've had quite a lot of people saying about like uh a, a bit of a backlash to my comments about you don't need to understand bully and there's tools that do it for you well yeah I you are firmly, you are on you are firmly, a recruiting show mate um so no, I'm <laughs> massively i massively agree you need to learn your own bully and you you can do so much more than getting a tool to do it for you so i really really do agree i'm not suggesting that people shouldn't learn how to do it themselves all i'm saying is there are tools out there that do a lot of the basic stuff for you. Yeah, they, that's a decent backtrack, wasn't it, folk, uh, folks? Um, okay, great. Um, <laughs> let's get on I'm with this. Thomas, Thomas, skills-based hiring. You know nothing about it, Adam. I know nothing about it. Let's bring on some people who do. We'll talk about it. Um, let's see who we've got. Um, who have we got here? We've got Andrea Marston. I hope Andrea's here. Uh, yes, she is. Brilliant. Um, let's bring her on. Oh, we we're going to do this in ranks. I think we were, weren't we? Um, because otherwise, there's too many people on screen. What do you mean, outside. rank? Sergeant, but, general, field marshal? No, no. We're going to do. We're going to bring on um, Chantel and Andrea first, and then we will bring on Luke and and Rich. Uh, because otherwise, there's too many people on screen. There's there's, there's going to be five people not speaking, so uh, uh, we don't want that. There's Chantel um, and there's Andrea. Wonderful to see you two. Um, let's do some introductions for the folks who don't know you. Uh, Chantel, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you say? Uh, what it is you do? Yes. Um, first of all, I have a bit of a cold, so hopefully I won't be too disruptive. Uh, my name is Chantel Jones. I've worked in recruitment and TA for 13 years. Um, currently work for Nash Squared, where I help a portfolio of clients with their TA programs. So I get all the fun of designing things. And then I have a wonderful team of talent managers who go and implement and help startups and scale-ups grow. Fantastic stuff. Exciting things happening at Nash Squared for sure. Uh, Andrea, wonderful to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are, who are you? What it is you do? Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm a TA leader at, at VMware, um, VMware software technology company. We're about 35,000 people globally. And last year we hired about 10,000 people. So I'll give you an idea of what we've been doing with skills-based hiring at scale. And uh, yeah, that's me. Oh, and I've no been way. in the industry about 20 odd years. 20 odd years. Amazing oh, stuff. And, and crucially, crucially, Andrea forgot to mention that she is also Calvin Harris's flatmate. 
So I usually have this blurred and I realise I look like I'm sitting in some kind of recording studio. This is all my partner's kit. I don't actually know how to use any of it, but now I feel like I probably should start learning. Otherwise, I'm going to be disappointing everyone if I don't turn around and get on the deck. I, I was going well, to say... Just, the, the Highland cow on the wall suggests to me that Calvin Harris is your partner. That is mine. That is my one contribution to this room. <laughs> Folks... Let's talk about skills-based hiring. Can we define it? Um, because as a lay person's understanding may actually be accurate here in the sense that it is like, let's forget about the CV. Let's test for the skills that are appropriate for the job and that skills-based hiring. Is that is that fair? Is that is that what it is? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, layered with still looking for behaviours and traits. Um, I think that's still important, but yeah. Yeah, and I, I look, I think we're on the journey. I don't think we're all going to, no one's there yet, but it's about what can we do that's actually going to move this because we've been talking about skills-based hiring now for how many years as an industry? Well, so Killing, killing CVs has been going around since for, for 30 years, hasn't it? So it's <laughs> so that, that entire thing of like getting rid of CVs, I think is ultimately skills-based hiring because we all recognize that it's a, a, an inadequate signal to whether that person's going to be a good performer or not. But it's been so resilient in our industry, we've not been able to get rid of it. Um, wh why do you think that is? Why do you think that skills, because skills was hiring, if you lay it on sort of at the very superficial level, everyone's going to say, yeah, great idea. But no one does it. So, and we're all back to the CVs and looking at biographies and experience. Why do you think that is the case? Adam, feel free to make your comments here as well. Um, so open uh, question to everyone here. I I'll answer one, one aspect of it. I mean, it, it is very, very... Um, you, you need you need extremely compelling reasons why an entire movement of people, because that's what we are in recruitment, are going to make a big, big shift away from something that isn't really a big problem. Some people will probably disagree with that and say CVs are a big problem. But, I mean, they, they kind of do what they say on the tin. And um, it reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody earlier today about email and why email it's not going away, despite us having said for 30 years it's going, or maybe not 30 years, for 15 years that it's going to get replaced. It's just so embedded in the way we, we do things. And the alternatives to a CV are quite technical and quite technology-based. And let's face it, 90% of people recruiting are not doing it in organizations where they have access to much more than... Microsoft Office, LinkedIn, you know, and, and they don't really have recruitment systems. So I think right. that's some of the reasons. I'd love to build on that just because well, the whole portfolio I work with don't have TA functions, don't have systems. So I, I really kind of empathize with what Adam's saying. Um, also, I totally agree that there probably hasn't been enough discomfort to cause such change. Um, we know that we're creatures of habits. The people that I've worked with who have taken this on and agree with Andrew that they're at the start of their journey as well is these are people who have really struggled to hire and hire well um, because they're, they're, they're going on gut feel because they don't have technology to help them assess. So they're going on gut feel, which is then really not producing what they want it to. Um, it's causing delays in their hiring because they bring more and more people into the process because they need validation that their gut feel is correct. 
and sometimes it, it means poor quality of hire as well, which we spoke about at length last week. So I, I think change happens when there's enough pain points to kind of have, have that tipping point to make that change. And, and what I've suggested with businesses is to start small and to test and then go on. But Adam, I completely agree with you. There's sometimes you don't have the tech stack to help. And that's where I think we can help train our hiring managers to help assess for skills and behaviors and traits. And as mentioned in the comments, not all skills are hard skills, some are soft skills. So giving the hiring managers a toolkit to be able to do some of that themselves in interview, um, I, I think is a long way to go for, for companies who want to move this way, but don't have a, a sophisticated tech stack to help them. So I, from, I think our experience was a little bit different because our, our TA wasn't broken. It was, you know, it was, it was running along actually pretty well, but there were some things that we were trying to do. One of them was we were trying to transform into a SaaS company. So there was an impetus for change from the business. And then also we were trying to improve our DEI. We were trying to improve how long it took to hire. And those were the things that meant that we could actually bring in change. And it was about a mindset change, far more than any kind of tools change. So quite honestly, there wasn't anything that there wasn't a tool difference when we brought in go hiring or skills-based hiring. It was purely around a, a mindset shift. And that that's a massive ask, especially in a company of our size, to actually get that happening. But it had to get a lot of people on board. And, you know, to the same point, we started with a pilot. You know, we had to prove that it worked before we could actually roll it out. Yeah, really interesting. All three of you have made really important points here. Um, so just a quick summary of all of this. Adam, I thought, I thought your observations were really spot on. Um, the, the CV is the best lo-fi way of doing it. Um, so if you've got absolutely nothing, like you are recruiting your first person ever, um, you're going to want to see a CV. You don't, you don't, it makes no sense to create a, a skills-based assessment sort of process um, because you're just, you, you, you may not even have an Excel sheet at that point. Uh, so very, very low-fi hiring. Uh, CV remains a decent technology to transport a bit of information about. Um, and, and Chantal, I think you mentioned, I think support, some supporting comments in the, in, in the chat stream there as well. Like most recruitment uh, are of that type, the smaller SMB level, um, pre-ATS level, um, may not have a TA team, may not have a HR department. It's still the you know, office manager type person who handles everything. Um, uh, you know, they're not going to have the, the, that uh, sophistication uh, to do anything other than, oh, we can, we need to just process CVs through an e email inbox. So, um, so absolutely correct. Um, and yeah, the pain points, uh, Andrea, going to your points, um, those pain points, I guess, maybe corporate driven, you know, the DEI side, where especially for a highly visible company, um, a US company, I believe VMware are, but they probably need to publish DNI stats and stuff like this. So uh, obviously big impetus uh, to move things forward that way. And we know there's a candidate shortage as well. So can skills-based hiring help alleviate the candidate shortage? Because if we're reliant on CVs, basically we're reliant on prior experience, basically cuts down our potential talent pool because the people we want to we need to hire these jobs may not be priorly experienced. And bear in mind, over the last three years, we've also seen a massive shift 
in terms of what types of people want to do what types of job. So for instance, more classically speaking, we know a lot of people in food retail now want to move away from food retail and work online and do something else. Flexible working, they want that. Uh, they can earn money doing other stuff, um, you know, digital call center stuff, whatever it is. Um, same with baggage handlers at Heathrow Airport and stuff of that type. Uh, prior experience, you're hiring prior experience there. Guess what? the people with experience do not want to do the job no more. So uh, the CV suddenly loses, suddenly becomes a big uh, a sort of an over filter um, for the pipeline that you need. Um, okay, cool. I think we've got a reasonable grasp of what skills-based hiring is. Um, what, what do we, uh, how do we go about to generate the skills? I guess we need to like define the job, don't we? I mean, because there's not just one skill. It's, it's, there's, there's like every single job must have, a cluster of skills that we need to recruit for. And, and I guess the complexity starts coming into play when we analyze that and think, oh, we need to actually go through all of our jobs and you know create these uh, skills uh, sort of uh, 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 libraries against them. Um, <laughs> is, is that the process you have to go through? I mean, maybe bring Andrea on in this because, because um, you know, is that the, the, the steps that you have to take? No, it's not what we did. Um, okay, and, and, and yeah, and actually that's, <laughs> that's maybe where I think I've got lost in it in the past is, you know, when you try and create some kind of skills taxonomy, what I think is strong communication skills is going to be different to what Adam thinks is strong communication skills, for example. You know, we're going to have slight, there's going to be a nuance there. So as soon as you start going into, you know, just a box of skills, it, it's open to differences. So the way we looked at it, it was about guided by outcomes hiring and that, and so that's go hiring in our world, okay? And it's about doing, not having. And it's the example we always use is if we need to cross the river, okay, do we hire a bridge builder? And that's what you classically would do with um, with an old fashioned job description. So you go and you know look for all the civil engineering qualifications, X number of experience building a bridge, et cetera, et cetera. Except all we've asked for is to cross the river. There's numerous ways you could cross the river. So actually we just want to hire someone that will cross the river and how they do it, they'll show us the best way. It may be swimming, it may be building, putting some stones in the water and stepping across, it might be canoeing. I mean, it's a, it's a daft analogy, apart from it makes sense that actually we don't care how you do it. So then if we translate that into a job description, it's actually about talking about what are you gonna be doing in the role? So we have four parts to our job descriptions now. And you know, you can see these on our website, okay? This, this is not hidden starts with the elevator pitch because it's about what is it what are you what's the role about um then it's about what does success look like in the role what are you expected to do what will success look like in 18 months time then it's what type of work will you be doing not a descript not a whole shopping list of things that we know puts off women from hiring from applying and then a bit about the leader and the team so it becomes more human so people are selecting in they're saying, yeah, actually, I want to apply for that role at something I can do, rather than saying, these are the skills you need. So it's a subtle difference, but we've been doing this now for almost two years. So we've got results that show it makes a difference in a positive way. Right. So that's really interesting. So you can, you can, my focus, my initial idea was that you have to break every job down, have loads of skills in and all that. And what you're saying is, Andrea, actually, no, what you're looking at is outcomes of the job, like the purpose of the job, figure out what it is this this, this job is there to do. 
um, and then care a little bit less about you know the, 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 your presumptions as to what skills are required. Because again, using your bridge builder analogy, if you're fixated on the idea is a bridge building is the only way to get across the river, um, then you know you, you are you're neglecting like loads of people that have other techniques. Some people might fly across the bridge. Who knows? You know, you've got all kinds of different ways in which you could do it. And you're saying, you know what, pull back from that and examine uh, the uh, uh, the outcomes of the job. Yeah, um, we, we know that everyone over, over engineers it, don't we? You know, when they're saying, oh, yeah, you need to have a, a, a master's from wherever or an MBA. And you're thinking, why? It's a tech support engineer. You know, <laughs> we've all been there. So the more that we can actually bring it down to what do you actually need to do the job, the better. Yeah, very interesting. Chantal, have you got any commentary to make on that? Is, is that the approach you make or was it more the case, let's do the skills? I mean, I, I've got a kind of, you know, I don't think it's an either or type of, type of question in this one. Funnily enough, I had the luxury of learning from the likes of Andrea in my old job. And uh, she was at the start of it and I had it at an event. So it's a very similar approach we took um, due to Andrea and her team. Although the analogy is brilliant, I wouldn't have articulated it that way. Um, the only thing that I would say is to add on is um, the piece that we've been really trying to focus on is that beginning piece of identifying with businesses, identifying what skills they need now and what they need for the future, looking at internal mobility, can we reskill, can we train and bring that in and then go to hiring. So that's kind of the, the, the part of the journey that we're currently at. Um, I've been hired, both of my last roles have been hired at a very similar approach in terms of haven't done it in the past, but actually they both gave me tasks and said, how would you do this? How would I cross the river? Um, so both of my roles have also been that way. So nothing really to add, just that first part of TA and people in terms of trying to get that conversation earlier so that actually we can start pipelining people a lot sooner. Um, and also not pipeline for roles that will then be filled internally and waste all of that time. So just an interesting point to add, but I think Andrea's mm -hmm. summary of it was, was brilliant. Can I ask about the, I th I, and I think actually Chantel, you, you sort of touched on it a little bit there around if somebody, you, you've, got to, you've got to cross the river, you ask people, how would you cross the river? Do they have to have experience in having crossed the river before, or do they have to be able to show that they know they can cross the river so i'm thinking about like um there's a lot of evidence that what somebody's done in the past does not necessarily determine they're you know going to be successful in the future so what how does that link into this it's a big question i i would it's probably quite a, a broad answer but i think that'd probably be a case-by-case -case basis on, on on the business um Every time that I've I've worked with this, it has been that we need evidence of output and achievements that can we can see a transferable as opposed to a like for like. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't this change? Does this changes sourcing, doesn't it? I think one of the things about skills based hiring that is that that is just struck me as an idea is that. When we're sourcing, as in the traditional active sourcing, we typically are looking at um, a prospect CV as a template that we go for, a bunch of skills in there, your prior experience. It is all prior experience. So when we're doing Boolean sourcing, we are looking for historical uh, signals that this person can perform that job in the past. 
particularly technical uh, sourcing, let's say, for software engineers and stuff. Um, you, you know, the CV actually critical there. Um, so we, we would it be fair to say that a shift to a skills-based hiring approach is generally more suitable for a talent attraction type of mechanism of getting candidates. So in other words, more advert-driven recruitment marketing, bigger, bigger people, bigger numbers at the top of the funnel, and then it's a filtration process to get to the candidates you want, rather than the more targeted, you know, search and snipe away at. Um, would, would that be fair to say? I think it's a great question, and I can answer that because we've probably got about fifty percent of our recs are application driven and 50% are sourcing driven as a, as a rough idea. You know, we're a tech company. We do a lot of R&D, uh, software engineering hiring, as well as go to market, et cetera. And it works across the board, you know, and it's not just about having the job description. It is, you know, you need to have the right process through there as well, the right interviews, the right kind of um, the way that you're assessing candidates that still has to be based on that. But it's about whether the company is ready to hire for potential rather than purely to be hiring, okay, you've already worked at our competitor and therefore you can come in and do the job. You know, use the bridge analogy. If you've managed to cross a railway line, can does that mean that we're ready to take a, a punt on you being able to cross the river? And, you know, this does come down to, well, what other skills do you have? You know, we don't want to hire clones. No one wants to do that. We want to hire people that are going to complement the team especially if you're going through some kind of transformation where you don't want to just bring in more people from our competitors because how's that diversifying our cognitive ability? Yeah, very good point, Andrea. I think the transformation side probably, it, it, I, I, we should have made a big, bigger point of that. I should have made a bigger point of it when you first mentioned it. That in itself might be a, an excellent trigger for doing something like skills-based hiring because almost certainly they didn't do skills-based hiring in the first place. Um, and they've got to a position where, um, you know, they, they, they've recruited the same type of person in and the entire purpose of skills-based hiring is recruit someone different, open the aperture. Um, but it is interesting to, to figure out. So there's probably a, a managerial prior, prioritization issue here as well. Like the hiring for potential seems to be applied. Um, it seems to align, if you like, with skills-based hiring. But sometimes there's a manager or a situation where there's a need to need need this experience now type of stuff, which we can absolutely recognize is true. Uh, and maybe in that context, skills-based hiring is kind of a, a like to have, but it's not something that you could really wedge yourself and throw out the uh, the experience type hiring because you might need that, that domain knowledge right there and then. Um, so perhaps we also need to factor in what is the management managerial context that this person is going to go into. Is there training support? What is the ramp up time? Um, how long would it take to get there, et cetera? Um, go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember where, this where I read this research, but there was something about, you know, that how long it actually takes to acquire that experience is really limited. You know, someone is generally ramped up between three and six months with whatever experience is needed. It's all about, you know, it's about the attitude. It is about having a base level of skills and then they can grow those other things. So if... We had been doing that as recruiters all this time. We wouldn't then have the talent shortages that we've had. We wouldn't be having the kind of conversations we're still having with our hiring managers if we'd been able to get them on board with the idea of hire someone that can do 70% of the job today because that's a better hire than someone that can do 100% of the job on day one. Yeah. One other right. aspect of this, I think, has got to be around somebody in the um, chat 
talked about the concept of build by borrow. So if you've got something that needs done very fast and you've got to bring somebody in for three months and their job is to get that task done, get over that river, then um, you probably don't take a 70% of the job. You know, so you, you, you need somebody who's, you're effectively paying for a task to get done. Whereas if you're, build, if, you're, if you're building your company and you're hiring employees and you're building your culture and you're hiring for the future and doing all that sort of thing, then that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a different type of thing. So do we apply? really help, right? So if you understand what skill you need immediately but you, and you understand how long you need that skill for, you can then decide whether to grow it yourself, buy it in, bring in a contract, loan it in. So I think that's where this becomes really powerful because it should be able to make help you make a decision in your workforce planning. If it's that you need if you, you need that skill set today and you need somebody, a master like at that particular craft and at that skill set, and you can recognize you need that for a three to six month period, you may be best off bringing in a contractor who can do that. We see fractional workers on the rise as well, so this will become more accessible. And whilst they do that, you could actually have them play a mentorship role to people in your business to then transfer some of that skill set into, into your world of work. This is where I get nerdy because like that, that whole cycle is it, it's a big ecosystem and that whole beginning piece of identifying what skills you need trickles down and, and gets you some great results and very sustainably as opposed to keep going up and down. Yeah, very, very interesting. Folks, um, let's um, thank our two uh, wonderful guests here. We need to bring on Rich and uh, and and uh, Luke in a minute. Um, but this has been a really great grounding uh, for, for a lot of the things that we were talking about. Uh, Skills-based hiring, I think, uh, certainly starts to crystallize in my own mind where it is most appropriate. And, and the truth is a lot of us have already done it, especially for early entry hiring, right? That's you know, someone who has zero experience um graduate level that is skills-based hiring kind of because the person doesn't have the experience what we're trying to do here is apply it and extend it uh beyond just that graduate intake sp space into the more experienced level hires and can you create transition people and has ob obvious implications also for internal mobility as well uh because if you've proven you can do it externally then suddenly the idea of one person transitioning from one department to another um, I think something changes culturally if you've already sort of had experience with recruiting where sort of successful people uh, from different uh, industry departments. Anyway, we've got to move on real quick. Andrea, Chantel, wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your contribution so far. Thank you. Have Bye. a good weekend, everyone. See ya. Bye. Cool cats they are, aren't they? Let's bring on uh, Rich and Luke without further ado. Bass is there as well. I'm going to try and bring Bass on also. I hope that's not too blokey on screen, folks. We kind of got the order a bit wrong there, but uh, I'm sure we'll get away with it. Uh, let's go with Luke, um, and let's uh, let's see if we can bring Bass on as well. Bass, if you're if the noise level is too much in the background, man, I'm, I'm gonna have to mute you. Okay, um, so he's at a conference at the moment. Um, okay, folks, if you want to ask any questions to our panelists and what have you, and Chantel and Andrea still with us on the chat, do ask a question using the ask a question feature at the bottom of the screen. Um, okay, we have Big Rich there, Big Big, <laughs> big Rich Bradley, as if there's a small Rich. Uh, yeah, well, you never rich. know. You never know. Indeed. There might be a small one out there somewhere. Indeed. Well, Rich, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is your do, sir? 
Uh, I'm Richard Bradley and I do as little as I possibly can. Uh, I look after uh, our solutions at Killy Services, uh, been in the industry for what feels like a lifetime. Fantastic stuff. And, and, it, very... and is the smartest dressed human we've had on recruiting brain food for years. I, I know I actually had to go and see an organization who would never even think about skills based hiring because it was in the legal profession. So I had to don a tie and a shirt and I didn't even know if they'd still fit, but they do. So me, I, I, you, one I, nil, one nil to me. I, did, I didn't want to say it looked as if you were up in court or something, mate. Um, uh, that's next amazed? Thursday. <laughs> next Thursday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's fine okay great uh luke we great to see you as well luke uh can you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do yeah likewise great to see everyone so i'm luke davis i'm the co-founder of a diversity platform diversifying.io and i'm the coo of a dni services group called the diversifying group and i've just had my 23 year recruiting anniversary this month so amazing you beat uh, me by about stuff. a month i think and Luke looks significantly know, better than, than everyone here. So yeah, that's he's, he's actually the recruitment career has been, been very kind to him. Bass, wonderful <laughs> to see you as well. I know you're at a conference today. So thanks for just popping out and joining us late notice. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Uh, I'm Bas van der Hattel and I help organizations basically do smarter hiring and look at skills rather than experiences. Yep, fantastic stuff. So, folks, you've all heard Sir Andrew and Chantal give some examples that they've applied and they've used um, to think about where skills-based hiring belongs. Uh, we've also discussed briefly like why there's uh, resistance against it and actually came up with some positions where we thought actually it's reasonable to resist it, um, particularly if you're a small company, you know, you don't have systems, you're lo-fi or whatever. Um, what are the reasons? though uh, that are less reasonable why companies resist skills-based hiring and are still wedded to the idea of hiring for you know prior experience and so forth let's go to you first with this one rich uh well i i fundamentally think i don't necessarily agree with the complete definition for me for me okay. the the whole point is to go about skills-based hiring is to move away from formal qualifications um, and that, that's how I see it. It's not about the eradication of a CV. A CV is still an important document to a degree. Um, why, why, why does it, why, why is there still a lot of people resisting it? Because it's easy. It's easy to say, um, oh, we need somebody with a degree. Um, and if you take the reason why we, we actually saw the need for qualifications drop before the big recession in 2008. And then in 2008, there's loads of people on the market. What happens? We need to find a way of actually getting a huge funnel of people into a smaller funnel of people. So guess what? We started to, to do this whole thing around degree inflation. So all of a sudden, the importance of a degree was escalated as a reason of being able to, to cut through people. Um, people like to hire people in their own same model. So, you know, if you're in financial services or the legal services, they want people that have come from the same university, the similar background. The whole point about skills-based hiring for diversity, et cetera, is to, to try and break the mold of being um, somebody that's come from a red brick university or somebody that's come from a, from a particular educational background and actually say, what, what is it the skills that you have? And then I think that the reason why it's suddenly become super popular and it's now suddenly become another buzz buzzword in the recruitment industry and across industry is because, you know, degrees aren't valuable anymore. Sorry, that's my personal view. You, you learn, you do a four year degree in, in most countries today. By the time you get to the end of that four year degree, most of what you've learned is absolutely not valid. It's out of date. 
you know a lot of reason people used to utilize youth degrees was because they felt that was a great way of saying that people had a, an ability to level of uh, soft skills etc fact is most students that come out of university don't know how to talk to each other um, so it's the, the reasons for why we had degrees have changed and therefore it's not necessarily an effective way of discerning if somebody is in a better group than another group and that's why it's changed so much but people like it because it's easy and it makes them feel comfortable really good point rich it's basically used to moderate high applicant flow right yeah so you, you can't handle a thousand people let's throw in some uh, up you need a two one instead or you need a first now instead of a two one or actually yeah. you need a master's degree because you know what i need to convert this a thousand applications to 100 and therefore um it's, it's interesting to know because obviously we might be heading towards more turbulent economic times i think we all feel a little bit of that pressure um are we it, with the resilient with, with the resistance against a uh, skill-based hiring in, increase again in, in this type of context uh, be interesting to know. So in other words, candidate rich environment, we, we, we don't like skills-based hiring. Candidate poor environment, we can't get the candidates and suddenly we like skills-based hiring. Um, okay, let's go to you, uh, Luke. What's your thoughts on this? I know you've been doing some consultancy work around this. So can you just maybe just start there? Give us some context as to what sort of consultancy work, why have they brought you in? Yeah. What's, what, what have you been doing? Yeah, of course. I guess the crux of it is probably based around, given what I do, the diversity element and you know, for me, I'd, I'd heard about skills-based hiring for ages. And if someone had said to me five years ago, do you do it? Is that how you practice recruiting? I'd say, yeah, of course I do. We check the skills of someone during a process, et cetera, et cetera. The truth was, in reality, most hiring was still being done by job titles, companies, experiences, and that type of stuff. And when I came into this role, I was thinking really deeply about, well, if you really genuinely want to diversify your talent pipelines, you're dealing with a fixed talent pool when you're only going off the other companies that they've worked at, the job titles they've got. You're never going to solve that problem, like never. So actually, unless you're, if you're not adopting some form of skills-based hiring, then you're going to fail, period, on the topic. I guess where I come into it is probably quite lo-fi. For me, it's really around that. When you take most job descriptions with the requirements at the moment, and I think this is down to kind of recruiter time a lot, I think people are looking like, you know, Richard was saying for the degree and those things that you can knock out six to eight years of experience must have done this must be these industries. And actually, if you just translate that a bit, not massively, but just a bit and go, actually, what are we really looking for here? And actually kind of what are the skills that would make someone successful and show they can do the job? I think you can get some quite powerful outcomes. And I think there's an example I've talked to quite a lot where you know, sales development reps, actually what you're looking for, you know, empathy, listening, you know, ability to respond skillfully, et cetera. And there's been, you know, some organizations I know that have hired social workers into roles like that. And actually some of the benefits they've seen is social workers are much better at using a system than the average salesperson. So you get up-to-date sales data and things like that. So the world I'm existing in really is just trying to help recruiters and organizations just move over a little bit, not massively, just move over a little bit. Because when you do, I think the outcomes can be quite powerful. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, Bas, what's your take on? In fact, no. Before we go to Bas, um, let's uh, let's do one thing which I nearly forgot to do, uh, folks. We need to come off air. Obviously, Brain Food Live on air has a as a limit in terms of how long we can actually stay broadcasting, um, and uh, we're going to have to close off this conversation in due course. However, um, we don't want to ever be the choke point for this. Um, if you are interested in this topic, skills based hiring, and you've got some value from the conversation so far, uh, please do make sure that you continue the conversation off. 
offline with everyone else who's in this show. Uh, take a moment and share your LinkedIn URL into the chat stream, or if you're watching this on a LinkedIn thread, and I know hundreds of you are, because I can see the different streams going off in different channels, go and add your, your LinkedIn URL into a comment thread there, and then just connect with everyone who you see doing likewise. Uh, worst case scenario, you've spent an hour and you've just walked away with 50 uh, quality contacts for your LinkedIn network, which by the way, folks, we should always be working on anyway. Um, so go ahead and connect with all those people um, and make sure you carry on this conversation. So Bas, sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, I asked you the question, okay, where do you, where do you stand on skills-based hiring? What, what have you heard so far uh, and what would you like to add? Well, there's one thing I'd like to add, but first I would like to very much, very much disagree with Rich on two points, which he just said. The first is that the degree doesn't matter and that depends on the job because, uh, and I'm going to take the example you just took because you're wearing a tie legal. So first of all, a legal degree matters because you need it to be a member of the bar. And in that case, it matters. Second of all, if you're talking about people who don't do skills-based hiring, actually we've got a few law firms who are on the top of the front here in the Netherlands doing skills-based hiring, not as much on the degree because they still want a degree from all their graduates because you needed to pass the bar, you know, that's just law, but they are now looking into the skills that you need to see what type of law would fit you best. So are you in a merger or acquisitions law? Are you in... Uh, fiscal law, et cetera, et cetera. And they're now trying to figure out, do you fit, first of all, do you fit our company based on your skills? You know, do you have the type of skills that our type of law firm fits best? And we have, for example, uh, um, we have one company which is known for being very female friendly and they have definitely de different skill sets than, for example, the British firms who also practice in, in Amsterdam, who are like, if you're not willing to work 80 hours a week, um, you're never going to make it here. So they have these different types of measurement, but those are also skills. So I would disagree with you that, first of all, law firms aren't measuring for skills because they had such high dropout rates from graduates that they have been moving to skills-based hiring, just not the technical skills because those are required by law that you have a law degree. And um, second of all, that not all degrees matter. I mean, when I was in hospital, I was very happy that my nurse actually had uh, a nursing degree, to be honest, and knew what the hell she was doing when she was putting, uh, when she was stabbing me with, uh, with a syringe. So I'll come back very quickly, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not being flippant. I agree that, you know, there are certain qualifications that are needed for certain things. I disagree around the nurse, by the way, and COVID proved that a number of nurses were hired that didn't have formal qualifications that were capable of doing jobs as nurses. So it's a mute point. But you're right, there, there are certain jobs that do require a level of experience. I wouldn't want uh, to have somebody operating on me as a surgeon that had kind of got the right skills, they could use a scalpel, um, you know, they've got a level of concentration, etc. So, I, you know, it's a mute point. But I think the problem is, there are lots of jobs out there that don't require a qualification. And you, you, you're absolutely right. But I think the problem is, is we we, we do a one size fits all. And like I just uh, we, did in We agree 100% on that point. Yeah. I think about 70 to 80% of all jobs do not need a formal qualification. And actually you see that because about 80% of the people doing a job did not get a college degree for that specific job, but they moved absolutely. during. I mean, go into every recruiter and, one or two people actually had an HR degree. 
Um, to your point, Hong, what I see with uh, uh, actual skill-based hiring, I've seen a couple of really cool uh, examples recently where they started mainly in graduate recruiting, hiring on talent, looking at the, the potential skills, so to say. So what they call is, it's called cognitive traits, you know. And I've seen it in construction where they were like, what type of construction, okay, you want to work in construction, what type of construction work do you fit best? I've seen it in IT development, you know, are you a, a programmer? Are you more of a, a, a low-code developer? Are you more of a project lead? And they map the skills of the people excelling in that certain job, and um, they map them to people applying to this job. Um, and I've also seen it, sorry, just in management traineeships where they are now being able to see, okay, you're this type of manager, for example, you're really good at reorganizing or you're really good at building a team and they've setting people up for success by giving them the traineeship, uh, thought, uh, uh, you know, gigs within the company to fit their skills rather than, uh, give, uh, give them a random assignment which interestingly enough, uh, Unilever said that they reached 50-50 male-female management variety because of this skills-based methodology. Okay, so very, very good, Bas. Great overview. Um, it see, again, thanks everyone for the contributions there. It seems that uh, certainly uh, the, the, the motivation to go to skills-based hiring is, is there. However, it requires more complexity to build a system around skills-based hiring than it does do through CV uh, related hiring. And that's just, I think you condemned it a little bit, Richard, as, as, as laziness. Um, but I think, that, which you can definitely level that accusation, but and oftentimes it's a, it's a capacity issue, right? So if there yeah. isn't a capacity in the business uh, to, to have a more complex system, then you will def default to the something that is simple if flawed. It's almost like, yeah, we know it's not ideal, but you know what? This is going to cost me less man hours or less person hours. I don't have a cooperative hiring manager unit, let's say, um, and you've got to go with what you've got to go with. Um, okay. Um, what about sort of any advice we would give to um, TA people um, who are thinking about, okay, we want to try and use skills-based hiring uh, to try and alleviate candidate shortage, or, uh, but I need to speak to a skeptical hiring manager audience to do that. Um, any thoughts on advice you want to give to that person? Let's go around on this. Uh, Luke, uh, why don't we start with you? I'd say probably it's like that good old classic wildcard candidate one where you get permission from the hiring manager to say, like, look, you know, I know you're not too sure about this, but can I have one of the interview slots where I maybe pop in someone that I'm convinced has got the skills? for this job and give them that direct com comparison because I genuinely believe you get better hires from the approach. It's not lowering the bar. And I think there's that perception from hiring managers that not having that experience is some way choosing something lesser. So that'd be the key thing I would advise is like take them on a step-by-step -step journey. If you try and take them too far too quickly, they're just going to bin you, reject you, go around you, as I've seen many times. Yeah, and they're going to resist. So basically, I love this little tactic. It's, a, it's basically saying upfront before you even have the candidates, you say to the hiring manager, look, we're going to diversify the slate. 
what you're going to get is 30% um, of the people are not going to be, you know, your classic uh, biography, but we think based on our assessment, they're going to fit the bill. 70% of the slate are going to be bang on what you, what you have specced out, uh, but you're going to interview a lot of them uh, and then you're going to make the judgment and then we're going to see sort of uh, which one of those people go through. Um, I really like that technique and you've got to do it before you have the candidate, by the way, folks, because you can't just like, yo, oh, by the way, I've got this amazing dude. You gotta to have to have a really solid relationship to get away with that one. Okay, Rich, um, how about you? Bit of advice for a TA person that is, you know, trying to move to down this route to solve the uh, candidate shortage problem. Um, how does he or she interact with the hiring managers that might be skeptical? Uh, I don't think I could add a lot more than Luke because I think the truth is, if if a hiring manager isn't open to it they're not going to they're not going to they're not going to agree to it so you know some people have got very close minds you've only got to look at the the talk bar on the side of here to see how many differences of opinions you've got just in our little audience so to try and get anybody i think the reality is would you be open to seeing somebody that may not fit your mold if i think they've got the right skills uh, and they could add some value is the only way that you can go about it it for me if you're going to do a skills-based hiring it's got to be an organizational thing or it's certainly a departmental thing um where you break it down into smaller chunks but yeah i think it's very different difficult to do and i probably agree with luke you've got to you've got to take that approach would be my view Fair play. Um, how are you, Basque? Uh, one bit of advice, if you could be brief of it. Um, what would you say to a TA person that's you know wants to do it, but you know is, is a bit lacking in confidence about uh, whether the hiring managers are up for it? Well, sorry, I have to disagree with Rich again here. Um, sorry, <laughs> mate. But uh, what I've actually seen is if you actually do it and you give them the reports, if you bring the, uh, if you do for sort of a skills-based assessment something which you know fits the skills from the job um you and usually a job description or a job ad has some skills in it you measure them you give them a report with the skills uh, they won't ignore it and they won't even ask how did you measure them because they are assuming you know what the hell you're doing then now you need to be knowing what the hell you're doing let's put that in up front, but I've seen it. I've actually seen it at uh, at a university at professors who were as skeptical as it was. But as soon as we gave them the report, nobody asks questions, and everybody was like, "Okay, so apparently these people, according to your test, have the skills." Those tests were validated. Yes, they were scientifically validated. They never asked if they actually, you know, they never asked for the reports, and they dare not because a hiring manager is also in the risk averse business if he hires somebody or she that is on the low end of what you said had the skills and it's a mishire all of a sudden the blame is on that person so all you need to do is make sure that your talent assessment your skills assessment is correct and what i've actually now seen and i've i've uh, worked at the ministry we've implemented uh, uh, adding skills-based assessment to the cv because we couldn't get rid of the cv because this was a government organization and basically the ats didn't even support getting rid of the cv and now all the hiring managers because the pilot has stopped and we stopped measuring them are like where are our skill reports well when we started this everybody was like yeah we don't want skill reports you know what we just gave them with the cv for two years and now all of a sudden they're like yeah but that was the most important thing where so it just give them the information don't take anything away give them as extras and pretty soon it's going to be the most important thing if you measure it right 
right? That's a really good technique. Basically, overload the can, not overload the manager, but provide. Like, basically, don't wait for the request. Provide the additional uh, information, and that can be kind of a very good uh, ne negotiation tool in order to create change. So you created, if you like, a bit of support for yourself to do that. Uh, folks, we're running well over time, so we need to go to the question who's been asked. Um, let's just deal with this one and we'll finish the show. Uh, Sylvia's asked, okay, we'd love to get your thoughts on assessment that, ma that measure potential, predict performance based on cognitive skills and psychometrics. Uh, do you use them? Uh, are they the future? How open to HR people to using them? Okay, what do you think about this? Um, so we're, we're talking about a, a cognitive assessment. Um, I'm going to assess you on your on your thinking power, I guess. Um, are we comfortable with this? Do we use it? Where do we think it fits into the world of recruitment? Uh, let's go, with, go quickly go around. Um, Adam, you go here as well. What's your thoughts? Uh, Adam, Adam Gordon, you go first. Uh, I, I, sorry. I, truth is, I don't have any thoughts on that. Comment. Yep. Mine's blank. You would fail the cognitive test. Um, let's go to uh, Richard. Yeah, I think I think it's a really good idea, and we see loads of different people with companies like Sova, we, who we use all the time, coming up with some really good stuff around creativity, agile thinking, that type of stuff. Yep, fantastic. Go ahead, Luke. I'm not comfortable with it yet, but keeping an open mind that maybe I need to be in the future, but I don't trust the science yet. Yep, fantastic. Um, how about you, Bass? Very quick. Absolutely. I Actually, all the skills-based assessments I'm talking about are cognitive or psychometric assessments. But uh, to compliment on you, Luke, um, there are awesome ones out there. There are crap ones out there. You need to know what you're selecting. And if you're not comfortable with it, your own knowledge level isn't good enough. So please hire us an expert to make sure that what you're selecting on because I see so many great tools being used for the wrong purposes, and then they're just as bad as a wrong tool. Yeah, so, very good. Thank you very much, Bas. Thank you very much, Rich. Thank you very much, um, Luke. Great to have you on the show, and uh, we're going to have to let everyone go at this point. Um, okay, white collar boxing, Rich and Bass. I think we need to see that. Um, <laughs> let's have it done. By the way, good result for you boys recently, Rich. Well done, mate. I think you're going to do it um so uh so yeah we'll catch by the way are we catching up we're sort of back in london or something i think we are aren't we i can't remember yeah we are whenever you're back so let me know okay cool mate um I, right i um, have one i've got one thing to add although i couldn't answer that question at all i've got one thing to add and that is the 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 one of the big challenges in here is that a lot of hiring managers are driven by vanity and ego and they want to be able to tell their friends that they've got a team full of people who are six foot and double degrees and you know joined from McKinsey. Uh, that's the biggest group of people that are gonna have TA is gonna have problems with in moving towards skills-based assessment. I actually remember having that conversation where the CEO was very proud to count the number of PhDs in, in the company, and I was saying that's great. As a recruiter, that's easy for me because I just need to find PhD people. Um, so I, I was disaligned with the organization. I was thinking, yeah, I just hired these PhD people. But were they really what they needed at the time? It was a source of pride and ego for the, the CEO. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of disalignment. We, got, we have to look in you know, where the hiring managers aligned to it and that kind of stuff as well. So uh, we need to think about it all also. Anyway, we're out of time, everyone. So thanks for watching. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, we're back next week. What are we talking about? We're talking about how to measure the impact of employer branding. Uh, make sure you sign up for this. We all love EB. We all do creative things with it. We, we Probably some of the things that we love most about recruitment 
is the wonderful things that we have done with, with employer branding because it gives us an opportunity to be creative. Uh, yet at the same time, how do we actually measure the impact of it? Uh, because our failure to be able to do that, I think does mean that we're not able to always and consistently make the case um, uh, for, for the budget that's necessary. So make sure you sign up for that, folks. Uh, final point I need to make, we are doing the What Do Recruiters Want survey. Again, I don't know whether you saw that, Adam, but we're, we're launching that. That was the Monday, the Thursday ping out. We've got 357 people completed already. That's a pathetic 1% of the 30,000 people that should be reading the newsletter. So I need everyone to do it, folks. Um, two years ago, we did the, the same survey uh, when we were peak recruiter. No one could hire recruiters. Um, we wanted to figure out what recruiters wanted in the world of work so that companies could better design jobs for them. Uh, two years down the line, the world has obviously changed. Um, have recruiters changed? Uh, that's the question. Uh, so I want you all to do the survey. A link is going to be in the chat stream. Going to ping it out to all of you as well. Um, and and yeah, let's get this done, folks. Okay, that's about it. Um, I'm out of here. You're out of here. Have a good weekend, buddy. See you later. Cheers.